Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Booth Hustle. This is your host, Kristen. And man, it's it's uh, been a couple weeks. I know, I know, uh, I haven't released an episode. But to be fair, I just got back from a long week of drinking whiskey in Nashville and two weeks prior to that, uh, pushing tequila in Boston. So um, it's been a it's been a long few weeks and I've, your girl's been busy. All right. So get off my back. <laughs> um, but I'm really excited on this episode. I interview Souther Teague. Man, I'm just so excited for you guys to hear this episode. Um, Souther is, uh, I mean, I don't even know where to start with this. He's a professional barman. Um, <laughs> he's an author, a cocktail expert. Um, he has oversees 10 different businesses in New York City, including being the beverage director at famed New York City Bitters Bar Amora e Margo. Um, he has won Wine Enthusiast Mixologist of the Year. Um, you know, he's been, uh, his places have been named one of the top bars in North America. Um, he's just, he's an all around like star, right? In, in the, um, in the industry. Um, he has spent his entire life working in culinary hospitality. He's a mentor, a teacher. He even co-hosts a, an industry podcast called Speakeasy. Um, and he's been doing that for years. He's a force in our industry. And I wasn't intimidated to talk to him. But, you know, when it's people I know about and I really respect, I wanted to make sure I did my homework and not waste his time. So leading up to our interview, I watched, you know, a lot of interviews and read a lot of, um, you know, interviews other people did with him and watched videos of him at work. And, um, you know, he is as sharp and funny in a way that you would hope all beverage professionals would be. But I also found him to be the most unassuming, easygoing person I've talked to on the podcast in a long time. Um, but considering that he's made his career working as a militant hospitalitarian, those are his, <laughs> that is his term, uh, there's no surprise there. Um, I had such a great time talking to him, and I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Cheers. We did it. Yeah, look at us. Look at you. I have red glasses as well. I'm glad I'm not wearing them. That would be awkward. <laughs> I Well, I'm colorblind, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> what color are they to you? A hue of brown. Yeah, kind of everything is. <laughs> um, I was going to tell you a quick story about me and my sort of like techno inabilities. My dad worked for NASA for 35 years until he retired and died. Um and I was invited, he, we worked on the shuttle program, and I was invited to several launches, um, and uh, every single one of them got scratched for, you know, weather or maintenance or some reason, right? Except the very last opportunity, the very last shuttle to go up, 
Atlantis, shuttle Atlantis. Um, and so I got to go finally. Uh, and I stood on the VIP platform among all these scientists and press people and nerds and my dad. And I was standing sort of next to this scientist and one of these press guys comes up to him and just says, you know, uh, each shuttle was designed to go to space and back 60 times, 60 round trips. And only two of them did more than 30. How do we explain this to the American taxpayer that we you know, built these things to do all these trips and they didn't do them? And this guy just casually pulls out his device. Like, I don't know, it was like a Blackberry or something. And he says to the guy, and I'm going to paraphrase, obviously, but he says, um, this device has more computing power than the first shuttle did. We could put this in a potato cannon and strap it on the back of an airplane and get close enough to the stratosphere to fire it out there and get more information than we can get shoving that giant <laughs> ordinance and seven human lives that we hope to return back to Earth uh, out into space with the fuel that it costs. Uh, he said, we will go back to space one day, but the paradigm has to change. And then he just put his phone mm -hmm. back in his pocket. Uh, and that uh, struck a chord with me. And so... I often sort of boast to this. It's not really a brag. It's just the fact. Um, I've written two books. I have a, you know, a podcast of my own that's been on for 12 years. Um, I own 10 businesses in New York City. Uh, and this is my only computing device. <laughs> I did my books, <laughs> And that's fine. I did my books on my phone. Like, if this thing has enough juice to go to space... I don't know why people need all it's this true. stuff. I know. As I look at like the fucking 900 computers in front of me right now, like work computer, non-work computer, work phone, non-work phone, Jeez. but also I have to have a non-work phone and it's because um, how else will I sell feet pics without my employer knowing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I joke, but like mm. I don't need them knowing my shit. Um, I... I, I know you and I, this is the first time we're meeting, but I work for a very large wine and spirit supplier. Mm -hmm. um, and I manage uh, like their fine wine craft spirits portfolio for the Northeast. Mm -hmm. um, kind of like an educator, nerd, distributor, manager person, and market facing. And um, I I have too much technology and shit. How long has the podcast been on? So this is the third season now. Um, yeah, it's fun. This started... Obviously, like a lot of things during the pandemic um, is a way for me to use my brain and um, my journalism degree that I haven't used in forever. Um, and it actually keeps me connected like to where I started in restaurants and hospitality and bartending in Chicago. And, um, you know, you know, dealing with suppliers is like the fucking dregs. Like it's just it takes all the sexiness out of everything. Mm -hmm. Um so I feel like I get to stay connected to winemakers and distillers and writers and people that are creating and doing things. And um, I'm really interested in where people got their starts. Like I like to look at like you and be like, what were you like as a kid and how did you get to here? Like because we all have such really unique and diverse backgrounds, yeah. but we find ourselves in these careers that are very um, fitting for people who don't fit into a box. And I love that. So I love sharing those stories. It's kind of the whole concept of the podcast. That makes sense. Um, yeah, what... I would uh, I would agree with that. You know, I talk about it all the time, you know, whether, you know, sort of directly or sort of obtusely that that's true. This is a field for, I don't know, misfits, ne'er-do-wells, vagabonds, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, a lot of vagabonds, borderline criminals, <laughs> semi criminals, actual criminals. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. As long as you're not caught, I mean, it's debatable if it's a crime. Yeah, the barrier for in <laughs> yeah, right. The barrier for entry is pretty low to get into the hospitality field, you know. Yep, but the best people, truly, and and I, 
uh, will force my kids into it um, begrudgingly. They will have to work some sort of service profession to learn how to be decent human beings. Um, Are these kids you already have or kids you're expecting to have one day? No, I have them. Oh, wow. I'm, uh, I'm older than I seem. Uh, I'm, I'll be 43 in November. Okay. I'm, I'll be 54 in November. You also have a very young looking face. It's all the drinking. <laughs> See, I, it's happening to me in the opposite way. I've actually read an interview somewhere that you did with somebody where you're like, I don't get hangovers and I wanted to punch you through the fucking thing, the computer screen. I didn't used to. And then, um, somewhere once I hit my forties, my liver was like, no, you're done. Yeah. Time's <laughs> up. You had your yeah, run. This is it. Uh, I, I keep waiting for that shoe to drop on me. Um, but yeah, it's never happened. And I just don't think it's going to at this point. Um, it's a double-edged sword. You know, if you listen to anything that I said, I probably said the same thing as I say it all the time. Uh, I, the way that I sum it up uh, is to say, um, I lived in New Orleans for three years. So they tell me. <laughs> right? As I recall. Yeah, so, <laughs> or don't recall. So they tell me. Um, you know, it just means that I, it doesn't mean I don't, people are like, you don't get hangovers. Yeah. It doesn't mean I don't black out. It just means I make really stupid decisions because mm. I, because I don't have any punishment tomorrow. I feel like the hangover has become a governor for me and that's actually good. And that's what it should be. <laughs> and I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm all gas, I no breaks. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think I would have I probably not achieved the thing, some of the things I've wanted to achieve over the last few years if I had not been able to make myself slow down. Um, I also have been reading a lot of really interesting things about um, people's different uh, like things in their actual DNA, depending on where you're born in the world, their tolerances for alcohol, um, you know, actually being rooted, like why people can consume more, why people don't, why there's heart disease, more places based on that. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm such a hodgepodge that I don't know how I got the shit under the stick there, but cause I'm a little bit of everything, mm -hmm. but, um, my jambalaya means hangovers, yeah. which sucks. Thank you for doing my podcast. Love to do it. You sound, you said you mentioned Chicago and you sound like you're from the Midwest. Is that true? I grew up on the East coast. Oh, so wow. I live in Connecticut. But not like the bougie part. I live in the woods, mm -hmm. um, closer to Massachusetts. Right. Um, and I spent 11 years there. But it did stick to me, I think. Mm -hmm. There's some elongated A's. <laughs> uh, yeah. Bag. <laughs> I lived in uh, Chicago for a while as well. I sound like What a, neighborhood were you? A, a, a Rogers Park. I sound like a crazy person when I talk about where I've lived. Because when I'm talking to anyone, they'll mention someplace. And I'm like, oh, I live there. Oh, I live there. Um, I mm -hmm. left home at the tender age of 17. And I've lived in 12 states. So it's uh vagabond. Yeah, very much. Yep. I uh, I also left home very young, but um I I went to one other place. I lived in Florida and I realized I was like this is the dregs of the earth. <laughs> That's where I was running uh, so from. That's long. where I'm from. <laughs> is that really where did you grow up in Florida? I grew up uh in, on the North Gulf Coast in a tiny little shitball town called Panama City Beach. Oof. It, well, it's got a few monikers. It, it's sir. called Re the Redneck Riviera. It's also yep. colloquially known as uh, L.A., Lower Alabama. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but my, I left there four days after I graduated high school. I've never been back. My parents moved Smart. to Cape Canaveral shortly after. So yeah, about two years later, I've never ever gone back to my hometown. Fucking hated it yep. there. Yeah, and please, like, if listeners are from Panama City or Florida, I, I, don't, I don't care that you love it. Like, it's great. Thank you. I, I had a really horrible experience living there. I lived in Fort Lauderdale for six months. I was roofied twice. Uh, in the span of six months, and I'm smart. I'm not a dummy. I grew up working in restaurants and shit. I literally had my thumb over my beer, somehow managed to get roofie. Jeez. 
Um, and I watched a grown man throw a kitten out of a moving truck in front of my car. I was like, I, I can't live here. This is so yeah. fucking fucked up. Florida man. Right. <laughs> Florida man does dot, dot, dot. Yeah. yeah. Every day. Um, yeah. But then I drove to Chicago and I stayed there for a really long time because it's a, that's a really cool city. Um, wait. So where did you live in Chicago? You were going to say, I'm sorry. I, I did say Rogers Park. Are oh, we, Rogers Park. Are we okay. rolling by the way? Yeah. Whenever. Okay. I was like, is this part of it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes. No, I, I kind of, um, so my podcast is very, uh, conversational. It sounds like conversational. Is that okay? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I find that, um, you know, I'm a rodeo clown. Listen, um, we talk about booze. I talk about people. I find it's, um, there's a lot of interviews probably with you already that exist in the world that say the same things. There over are and a few, over again. yes. And they do kind of say the same things. And I, I tend to like asking people and just talking to them like, you know, like we're having a beer together, not on a computer screen, but, mm. you know, in real life. Um, that's that's my vibe. <laughs> right on. Where do you live? In Brooklyn? I live in Brooklyn. I was um, evicted during the pandemic. <laughs> Joy. So I had to move to Brooklyn. Uh, but, you know, a great bounce. Uh, I landed in an apartment that is way bigger uh, and cheaper. So now I have a two-floor apartment with a private backyard, and uh, and backyard Dang. backyards a stretch. You know, in New York, when you say backyard, you know, it's not what you'd say if you lived in Des Moines, Iowa. My backyard is concrete. It's uh, it's got enough space out there to hold a table that seats eight to ten. I've got a grill, and, oh. there's, and there's still some space to move around. Uh, but it's not like we're out there, you know, playing badminton or baseball. <clears throat> So that's like Rockefeller for New York. Kind of. Yeah. I really looked into it. You know, they lowered the price on it during the pandemic pretty considerably. And, you know, for whatever, you know, however the legalese works, they can only increase it so much. So they've increased it the two years I've been here, but uh, still cheaper than where I lived before. So. So you have like a real romance with New York City. Like you ever see yourself leaving? You know, I've been here for 20, coming up on 24 years now. And, you know, as I mentioned I've lived in 12 states as an adult, as a working adult, and I consider New York to be my favorite. Um, second favorite, uh, very close, is New Orleans. Third, to be honest, is Chicago. I really thought I was going to wind up mm -hmm. back in Chicago, but Chicago probably came too early. It was the very second place, and only due mm -hmm. to mechanical failure. I left my home in Florida and drove directly north in my van. It was a 1967, <laughs> uh, sorry, 69 Volkswagen Autobus. Uh, broke down in Birmingham, Alabama. So I lived there for six months while I repaired my vehicle and then continued driving up to Chicago where I lived. That's wild. Yeah. Wait, did you repair it yourself or did you have to like find people to help you? A little bit of both. Um, had some friends who I uh, I got to come and help me and uh, and I did some of it myself too. That yeah. sounds like my nightmare, <laughs> breaking down in Alabama. You're here now for six months. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got a little apartment. I got a job at a grocery store. Yeah. Whoa. Mm-hmm. And then your next old. stop was Chicago? Yeah, then straight north to Chicago. Um, wow. Yeah, what did I you mean, do when you got there? Making it even more sort of ironic is that, you know, the travel distance between my home in Florida at Panama City Beach to Birmingham, Alabama is only like a six-hour drive. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> Failure to launch. Didn't, False start. I didn't make it Almost. far. I didn't make it far. Mom, Dad, I live in Alabama now. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, well, well, that's an adventure. I mean, that's pretty cool. Um I've never been to Alabama. Um, I've heard things, uh, but I feel like Chicago is probably the better next step. I mean, you know, Birmingham is 
sort of cosmopolitan as far as the state of Alabama goes. And I enjoyed my time there and I have friends who live there now and have businesses there. And so I've been back and, uh, you know, again, where I grew up at one of its monikers is LA, lower Alabama. Um, you know, we're the North Gulf coast of Florida is very close to Alabama, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so did you work in hospitality in Chicago? I did, uh, but not at first when I arrived, I got a job with a construction company, um, and I was, you know, hanging drywall and doing stuff like that, which is just tedious, laborious work. But for a young man, mm-hmm. you know, quite uh, lucrative, to be honest. Uh, but then I um, got a job at a, um, a restaurant in Evanston, Illinois, called the Davis Street Fish Market. And I worked there for mm-hmm. my entire, almost my entire time in Chicago. And I loved it. And it's, it's kind of what made me fall in you know, the proverbial, we all fall in love. We fell in love with the business, right? That's where I kind of fell in love with mm-hmm. hospitality. My dad owned a bar when I was a kid in Panama City. You know, I carried beer from the cooler to the bar for quarters to put in the, you know, the video games that we had in there. And um, so, you know, I was always around it. And then uh, um, I think getting to Chicago was, and, and, and I cooked in, in Florida as well. When I was in high school, I had a job at the Waffle House. Nice. The second busiest one in the chain at the time for my Whoa. senior year. I had moved out, so I had to have a job. So I worked overnights at the Waffle House all through my oh senior year. Oh, my God. Southern, I didn't realize you were a veteran yeah, of the Waffle House. Basically. <laughs> I feel like that should be in your bio. Yeah. No locks on the doors, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, forever. Uh, yeah. Dang. Yeah. That's that's quite an experience. Like, man, trial by fire, like really jumping into it. That's, that's There's something it. interesting about the Waffle House, um, the culture of it in general. But if you go and look it up on Wikipedia or whatever, there's the Waffle House Index, which is, um, you know, they're all over the South. And so, of course, they're all over Florida. Um, you can tell how bad a hurricane is based on the Waffle House Index, which means it's which ones are closing because they never close. <laughs> so like mm. the one I worked at didn't even have locks on the door. So I imagine wow. they've upgraded that as the weather has gotten worse. But, um, you know, if a Waffle House closes, that's saying something about the weather. Yeah. Well, <laughs> which I mean, is people nuts. need their waffles. Which is nuts. But, you know, we have indexes for things like that all over the place. Uh, not to be completely off topic here, but, you know, when COVID came out, one of the indexes that they discovered was um, negative reviews for Yankee candles because no one could smell them. <laughs> yeah. No one could smell them. <laughs> this one smells terrible. It smells like nothing. Right. That's what that's what was happening. That people were demanding refunds because their candles had no sense. Oh my god. And that, that's and that, fucking And wild. when it happened, that's when they, they sort of discovered that there was a side effect of COVID to, to lose your sense of smell and taste. Um and then yeah. they they huh. followed it again through Omicron. They saw the spike in negative reviews and they were like, Oh, here we go again. Oh my god. And like nobody could put the two and two together. Like not that they can't smell anything at home, but that Yankee candle didn't have a smell. I'm gonna make a bad review. Right. People should have their ability to write reviews. Can't smell taken anything, away from them. But it's this candle's fault, right? Um oh my God. People in fucking Yelp, man. Yeah, I mean in Google don't... searches in general, uh, I was one of them. I was an early adopter to COVID. I had it uh, in March of twenty twenty, right when it first came on. And uh, I lost my sense of taste and smell for nine days. And of course, I was <gasps> frantic because that wasn't yet an indicator. So I was looking it up and trying to figure out what was going on. And that's how they really just put those two together. It's just Google searches for anosmia, the loss of sense of smell and oh taste. <laughs> yeah. Like, hmm, high spike in this disease, high spike in Google searches for this. There must be a correlation. Yeah. Were you now? So but since it was so early, I think there was nothing probably for you to find easily. But did you have to train your palate back or did you just have to wait? I did a little bit of both. So there were nine days where it was completely gone and I was in a 
frantic panic because, you know, my entire career has been either cooking or, or bartending. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, and so really, really heavily reliant on those two particular senses more than most. So really dark days for me, those nine days. But then it sort of came back, mm. but it came back quite slowly, right? It went off like a light switch. And then it came back on more like a dimmer, right? And it took more yeah. than a year for everything to kind of get back into place. And I I'm, can I say everything. I'm assuming everything's back in place now. But I did do, as the New York Times um, posted an article about it, I did reach for things that I felt weren't smelling the way that I thought they should and mm-hmm. practiced smelling them. And that for me, that yep. for me, frankly, was mustard. I'm a huge mustard fan. Mm-hmm. I love mustard. I usually have 10, 12, maybe 15 different varieties of mustard around the house and uh, for you know eating on stuff. And they all had one particular smell to me. They all smelled putrid, like rotting. Uh, so Weird. I couldn't eat them because they smelled like, you know, rot. Um, so I would just open up mustard yeah. and smell it for a few minutes every day. Sniff, 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 wait, yeah. sniff, 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 wait for a couple minutes. Uh, uh, and then finally it slowly came back. Yeah, there was this really interesting episode of The Daily. They were talking about people um, retraining using like spice boxes mm-hmm. and different things, like using kind of that strategy. And that was um, really interesting. I, man, that would have terrified me if, if I, I obviously had COVID as well as everyone else mm-hmm. in the universe. And I have kids, so I probably have had it a million times since then. Um, but I was really worried because I do, obviously, I work in wine and spirits. And that was like, that's uh that's not good yeah. if all of a sudden you're <laughs> your money maker as yeah. it is. <laughs> no, no kidding. It was uh, you know. terrifying. I had uh, numerous uh you know cry sessions in the shower uh wondering if it was ever going to yeah. come back. Because again, don't don't forget this if it happened, you know, even a few months later, at least it would have been like, "Hey, this is a side effect of this disease." Right. No one knew. It was just like, "Yeah, you can't oh smell or taste anything. Good luck." <laughs> Oh, God. You know what? The only thing that would have been worse than that is those people that got the version of it where everything smelled like garbage. Like what you were saying would happen with mustard, people had from all food right. and then they just couldn't eat. And the people that have long COVID now that still experience that, like, I don't know, man. If I can't eat and drink, yeah, it's going to be a, a, a big rewiring of your brain to make things enjoyable in sure. life. So like, I think they have it probably absolutely the worst. Um, I do want to go back to Waffle House for a second because I wonder, I wonder... Is that where you got uh, inspired to be <laughs> going to culinary? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But no, I'm interested about your culinary background. I mean, you, you know, you're not really far off. You're not really far off. You know, um, I, I had a great career in culinary. I, I was a chef for 12 years at various places. Obviously, as mm-hmm. I mentioned, I moved around quite a bit. And that's how I moved. You know, I, I would literally, I can, I have a visceral memory of being like, huh, San Francisco looks cool. Maybe I'll visit. You know what? Fuck it. I'll just move. Right. Just pack up your knives and go. Um, Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it afforded me the ability to go anywhere because, you know, everywhere you go, people eat, believe it or not. Um, And Mm -hmm. then they want people to cook for them because they don't like to do that part. Um, So but being at the Waffle House, really, I still use it today, even behind the bar. It's a very, very organized and ergonomic place to work. Um, Mm -hmm. For your listener who's never been to one, it's a short order situation, mostly breakfast driven, open 24 hours a day. And, you know, the service staff is literally shouting at the single cook in the middle of the room um, who's taking in all these orders. You know, and I you have to be powerfully organized. Everything has to be just so and just in its place. Mise en place. Right. Um, to, to get this job done with any efficiency. And, and that's all that thing is about is efficiency. You know, and mm-hmm. I still I still remember the lingo. You know, when I go and sit at a Waffle House and I hear the service staff shouting at the cook, I can, I, I, I know what they're saying, you know, <laughs> order scrambled cheese on two, out like one, make it a plate, raisin, you know, that means uh, 
order scrambled cheese on two. That's two orders of scrambled eggs with cheese uh, out like one. So meaning on one plate. So this person wants four eggs and cheese. Make it a plate huh. means it comes with uh, uh, potatoes uh, um, instead of grits. Um, and raisin means raisin toast, right? So order scrambled cheese on two out like one. Make it a plate. Raisin. Oh, my God. It's like a whole other language you have to learn to work there. Yeah. That's impressive. Uh, you know what's qu- cool like that, too? There's um, I worked at a blues club in Chicago for seven years uh, or six or seven years, and we used to do hand signals for beers because the music was so loud. So there'd be a long bar, and there was a bartender on each end, and we did like, you know, like this. like I love it. And then Corona. And you just like order your beers, and then when they bring you the beers, pop in them, you order all your cocktails. And that was that was kind of fun. I love it. I, uh, I worked at a one of the, the very first bar actually that I worked at here in New York City um, was a, a silent service bar. So I had a bar back who was outside the bar uh, who you know would bring me things uh, or take things away from me. And similarly, we had sim- signals. Um, you know, I, I remember hmm. like, you know, just to sort of pull up meant like I have a bus stub to give you or to, to go like this. Uh, I mean, I need martini glasses to do this. I mean, I needed bubbly water. Mm-hmm. I can't remember them all, but, you know, little finger, finger so gestures cool. that we would just you know, silently communicate. It's the efficiency and it's the show. It's the stuff behind the curtain that people don't even realize is happening Mm -hmm. right in front of them that are creating this like experience. And it's like only, you know, I think people like yourself and people like me who've spent my life working in hospitality and restaurants were like, you notice all the things and like it's part of the experience. It's also very cool. Um, But it's also a very different experience than the regular person coming in who's just like, it's magic. It's a show. They don't you know, but I love like that 15 part. 15 people behind the curtain. <laughs> I love that part. You know, when I worked at Dovetail, which is uh, um, sadly gone now, but it was a, a very uh, well-respected Michelin-starred restaurant on the Upper West Side of New York um, by John Frazier, uh, I would joke to my friends, but I think in my mind I thought it was true, <laughs> that if you were at the table at Dovetail and you elbowed your fork off the table and you didn't notice... Someone was there to catch it before it hit the floor, and someone was there to replace mm-hmm. it before you knew any of that happened. We were so mm-hmm. stealth at that place, and it just makes for a – honestly, you know, it sounds a little over the top, but I think that as far as hospitality goes, it made it a challenge for us. It made work in what's seemingly sort of a stuffy, boring environment. It made work for us quite exciting, you know, something to, like, yeah. strive for and achieve. Um and the guest doesn't notice, and that's fine. Yeah, that's part of like the magic of it is you feel like it, you have a really good service night. You kind of get amped up on that. It's, it's it's very cool. I wonder what were your like when you were growing up, like what direction did you think your life was going to get into? What were your interests? Wow, very different than than where I wound up. I think, but maybe not. I don't know. Um, so when I was young, I, I lived on the beach. Like literally, I my my um my bedroom. Uh, had sliding glass door to the sand. Um, hmm. So, you know, as on the beach as one can live. Um, you and the hermit crabs. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I was very much on the beach. I surfed, I jet skied, I was a skateboarder. I was a sponsored skateboarder, actually, when I was young. Oh, no yeah, way. no way. Yeah. I listened to a lot of punk rock. I too had a skateboard. I wasn't, I wasn't like trolling you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was a sponsored amateur uh, for Vision Streetwear for a bit. Um, and I was shop, wow. shop sponsored by a shop that was called um, uh, Trader, Trader Bills. And, you know, I listened to a lot of punk rock music. I don't know that I had a direction. You know, I, I, I went to one semester of community college um, and was like, I got to move around and figure something out before I can do this, right? 
So I did, I, you know, that was after I left home. I left Florida immediately after graduating high school, but in Chicago, I went to one semester of community college. And, and then, uh, you know, as, as I said, I got a job at a, at a restaurant and I enjoyed the work. Uh, it was lucrative and flexible. And I went to a lot of shows, right? I got that job and it was, again, easy to get coverage, to take a night off and go see, you know, whatever band I wanted to see. And then, uh, you know, you're, that's when I feel like I was beginning to be forced to grow up you know, because I got there at such mm-hmm. a young age. And then I ended up moving to another state with, uh, you know, I think I think people are motivated mostly by two things, right? Money and sex. So I moved for sex, right? <laughs> I, followed a, I followed a girl to another state um, mm-hmm. and got another job at a restaurant and was in the back of the house instead of in the front of the house. Uh, so that first job was in the front of the house. And then you know, kind of relying on that Waffle House experience from my youth. Uh, and then kind of like realized that I was good at it. I think, again, that Waffle House experience really set me up for setting myself up on a daily basis for success, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mise en place is your friend. Um, and then I went to culinary school. Uh, so I thought I was going to go down that road and be a chef. And I, and I was, and I was quite good at that as well. It afforded me a lot of opportunities to move around. Um, and then I got a job for a, a prestigious job. I got several prestigious jobs. Actually, I worked in really great places for really great chefs. Um, but then I uh, ended up working on the Food Network on a show called Good Eats. I was the research and technical chef for mm-hmm. that show with Alton Brown, which is quite known. Um, Very cool. Yeah. And then that led to me getting a position as an instructor at the New England Culinary Institute. So like kind of a lot of prestige in that world. Uh, and then I moved to New York, sight unseen. And... Mm-hmm looked for a job in the front of the house to do what I just said about Chicago, to have some flexibility and some fast cash. Cause having come here without ever having been here, I thought, well, I'll need, you know, I'll get a job for six months in the front of the house and make some quick money and figure out if I'm even living in the right neighborhood or, or scout around mm-hmm. for a job in the back of the house or whatever the next step was going to be for me. Um, and I took a job behind a bar, um, which was unexpected as well. I went in applying to be a server and they asked me if I could bartend. And I said, well, I've spent my career making beautiful food and putting it on a plate. I'm certain I could make a drink and put it in a glass. Uh, sure. And then, as they say, the rest is history, right? I told them I'd be there for six months. I stood behind that bar for three years. Hmm. And then I just got bar job after bar job after bar job. And here we are 20, almost 24 years later. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too. Like finding the right therapist 
fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You know what I find really interesting about your story and and just this like theme that like when you're younger and I and I I find myself having conversations sometimes with younger people that are you know college age and trying to figure it out and the jobs that sometimes seem meaningless or weird and they feel untethered and they're like whatever sometimes you don't even realize when you're in it that those foundational experiences that seem like you're wasting your time at the time or that are not important or that are transitory sometimes end up being these really important like pivotal times that like at the time don't seem important but then looking back like for your your you know your, how you got started with your Mason Placet Waffle House and like I I had the shittiest um, job I was doing outside sales like cold calling like business to business <laughs> being told to go fuck myself yeah, 100 oh, yeah. times a day and, you know, selling like Dish Network and credit card processing and literally like the most awful job you can ever possibly imagine well, for commission. I'm going to top you in a second, but keep going. Yeah. Well, I got worse too, but th- this is this is a, this is is a one of those foundational ones though. But at the time I was like, what am I doing? I'm not making any money. I put myself in debt. This is just so precarious and stupid. Um, but now in sales, no one makes me break a sweat. There's literally not a thing or a person or an intimidating person that will get even close to hitting my radar and it was like such an important thing for me to go through well at the time seeming not important and like like that's advice like just even for listeners like younger people especially like even if you think what you're doing is not important it is it's it's shaping you in some way you don't have to stay there that long but like you take a little bit of time and don't be so attached to an idea or a concept or a job or a career path because like as Souther's saying, like you don't you take chances and you travel and you take new opportunities and ultimately they lead you to where you are, which is where you're meant to be. So I mean, I don't know, I just find that really interesting. I think you're you're 
almost 100% right there, except for that last bit where you said you're meant to be. I don't know that we're meant to be anywhere. I don't follow, I don't follow, well, I don't follow okay. that sort of thing. Uh, well, um, but I will say, get a little hippy dippy yeah, there. <laughs> I will say, I think, um, you know, we can have, we can have differing opinions. That's okay. Uh, I will say <laughs> that, you know, it's important to be aware and in the moment whenever you're doing whatever mm. you're doing, um, especially if you've sort of negotiated and signed on and took, taken a position, right? Um, you may as well be in that moment so that in the future you can look back on it instead of just saying, well, I just took this job. It's a throwaway. I'm just going to go burn my mm -hmm. 40 hours a week or whatever. That's a lot of burning. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think it's important to pay attention. And I would say I've paid attention to every job I've had. And I've had a bunch of weird jobs, right? Um, you know, my very mm -hmm. first job with a paycheck, I was an oyster shucker. At a place called Shuckham's Oyster Bar. We shuck them, you suck them. Um, yeah, crazy, crazy experience. Um, I rented jet skis and Hobie Cats on the beach. Um, I worked at an amusement mm -hmm. park. Uh, I worked at the Waffle House. Awesome. Um, awesome. I was the GM of a gourmet grocery store. I was a butcher. Uh, obviously, we talked about I was a chef for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. There was one job in there that I, I would imagine might be a little bit worse than your sales job. A sales job also, door to door sales. I think mm -hmm. I sold the hardest, the second hardest thing to sell door to door. I think the first hardest thing to sell door to door would be doors. <laughs> <laughs> I sold meat and seafood. So imagine you're door just at home doing whatever, mm -hmm. and I knock on your door and I'm like, mm -hmm. hey, you want to buy some steaks? <laughs> you want to buy a bag of meat? <laughs> yeah. Tough job. We've never met. Tough job. <laughs> uh, but it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot of psychology, of, of, of the yeah. human condition. You know, it taught me something that I still use the bars today, and I still teach this at the bars today, um, which is the um, the sort of walk away. Um, you sort of plant an idea on somebody, and then you walk away from them. Um, mm -hmm. And you have that ability as a bartender. You can just kind of walk away. Uh, and mm -hmm. I'll give you the example in, in the truck, which was I would go to your door, and I would knock on the door, and I would probably start with a lie, something along the lines of like, hey, one of your neighbors down the street uses my service and he thought you might like it too. Um, yeah. I got, uh, I'm from Horizon, Horizon Meats and Seafoods and I've got some stuff I want to show you on the truck and I turn around and walk to the truck. And even if they don't hmm. want it, they're saying no all the way to the truck with me because <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm just walking to the truck because yeah. either way, I got to go back to the truck, <laughs> right? No matter what, I'm getting oh in that God. truck and leaving. So I got to go back to the truck no matter what. But if they're saying but if they're saying no to me, they're following me going, no, no, thank you. I'm not interested. They're following me to the truck. <laughs> I'm getting the visual from Alice in Wonderland with like the walrus with playing the instrument yeah. and the little clams following exactly. him. <laughs> that's totally. So then when they're there totally at the truck, you know, I, I just open it up and I reach in and I go, I bet you like steaks, but I hand them a box of shrimp. And I have handed them this box of shrimp because I need them to hold this while I dig for the steaks is the, uh, is the thing. <laughs> but now they've got it in their hand and like possession is ownership. And they're looking at this mm. beautiful box of these, you know, IQF individually quick frozen shrimp, and they're like, now they own them. It's hard for them to hand them back. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm digging for those yeah. steaks, and I pile them right on top of the boxes, you know. And I'm like, look at these steaks, steaks. Yeah. And oh man, that's a great combo you got right in your hand right there, you know. <laughs> so you know, today I use that at the bar, that's right? I'll, I'll walk over to the to the guest and say a couple of things about a, a drink we might be featuring or whatever, and then I just walk away. And they're like, wait, wait, mm -hmm. but I'm I'm gone. And it gives them a mm -hmm. moment to be like to sit with it. And then when you come back, they're like, yeah, I'm interested in that. Let's, let's do it. That's cool. Yeah. I like that. I'm just going to start doing that from now on. Like when I'm doing a presentation, I'm going to pour it in the glass and be like, I'll be right back. Yeah. Enjoy this. You don't need me. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a sec. Enjoy. Yeah. You don't need the story. See you in a bit. Um, yeah. See, see you later. Less is more sometimes though. T t totally though. Like the psychology of it. 
I, I, I think we all uh, sometimes struggle with like self-editing mm. and I think that less less is more um, sometimes let people get to it on their own because people will and if it's interesting and something they is interesting enough they're gonna they're gonna get into it so I think also enthusiasm is important too like being knowledgeable and passionate about what you're doing which is I think obviously something you do very well um, I think it's something you're you're known for is um, having passion and knowledge and enthusiasm for um, your specific interests and and I think that's um, I I tend to struggle with being a little bit interested in too many things mm. and like being too broad um a lot um i wonder like you know you've been obviously doing this for a long time and sometimes the you know the industry goes through phases and trends and things and sometimes things don't seem new and then old is new again and are there is there anything now that like you know is really exciting to you or anything that's inspiring to you that feels new and like how do you keep how do you keep it exciting for yourself well i think for me, um, w one of the ways I keep it exciting is, is I I look for stuff, and and frankly, at this point, stuff looks for me. And that is to say that, mm -hmm. you know, I opened Amori Margo, my oldest bar is 12 years old, and we have the world's largest collection of tincture bitters as well as the world's largest collection of potable bitters. For the listener, that just means I have like a five, 500 or more little bottles of, you know, Angostura and the like, and around 350 or so bottles of like Campari and the like. Mm -hmm. um, you know, bitters that used by the drop, bitters that used by the ounce. Um, and it's a fascinating category. You know, it, it's never ending. Um, I'll never have them all uh, because they don't get distributed here. Um, but when they do get distributed, they, they come to me first because they're like, well, you're the guy that does this. You want you want to try this one? Mm -hmm. um, so that's easy. Amori Margo is easy. The other bars are a little tougher, right? But don't forget, I do focus my bars, right? Uh, um, mm -hmm. Which I think... I'm formulating this thought as I say it, but I think that focus can create more excitement. You know, at Amori Margo, it's all Amaro and bitters. Um, at uh, Etheria, it's all mezcal and tequila. I don't have another spirit on that bar. Zero. Like, there's not a bottle of rum. There's no gin. There's no rum. Uh, you know, tequila. It's uh, only tequila and mezcal. So, you know, that then makes me dig into tequila and mezcal, right? So there's always something mm -hmm. to discover. Whereas if I had just a general bar, which I don't, none of my bars currently are the ones that I've lost in, to the pandemic, have ever been just a broad stroke bar. You know, I had a bar that was all mm -hmm. American whiskey. I had a bar that was all French spirits. I had a bar that was um, uh, every drink that we served involved tea, right? So it was basically a tea bar, mm -hmm. but it was all cocktails, obviously. So we were focused on the tea at that bar. Um, it did have more spirits to choose from, but tea was the central spoke. Um, very cool concept, by the way. Yeah, it was great. I loved it. It was called Blue Quarter. The pandemic took it away. Mm -hmm. um, it, wah, we'll wah. try and do it again, maybe. Um, I had a bar that was all absinthe and champagne. Um, you know, so also cool concept. Yeah. <laughs> well, we had to close that one recently because our oldest restaurant property, the building had an issue, and we we were given three months to get out of the building. And Cafe de L'Enfer was our youngest bar, so we kind of had to kill our baby and move the restaurant in there, um, which in the mm. end is great. Um, it's now upstairs from Mori Margo. So now our oldest and most popular restaurant is right upstairs from our oldest and most popular bar in the same building. It makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And we'll look for a That's new space cool. for a cafe. We just couldn't go even, you know, any time at all between, uh, we couldn't close the restaurant for any time, right? We needed to put it somewhere and we couldn't look around for a space and, and hope and hope for the best. We took a space that we had and we remodeled it as quickly as we could and we moved it. Um, we'll look mm -hmm. for a space for a cafe because it was, it was great fun. People loved it and I loved it. But I think that getting back to your question, you know, 
it's up to us. It's up to each person to keep themselves excited about things. And I do it by being focused, I think, by and large. You know, I've said it a thousand times on other interviews. I'm sure people have heard it if they've heard me before. But I, I go back to my chef time again and I say, there's just not a chance in the world I would open a, a restaurant that, that serves spaghetti and sushi and tacos. First of all, I wouldn't mm -hmm. like to do that job. Second of all, I don't think people would come there. But if I open a restaurant that only serves spaghetti, people are going to go, wow, this dude must make some fucking great spaghetti. Let's go check this out. <laughs> right. So I'm focused. Yeah. I'm focused just like a, a restaurant at the bars. And I think that's not I think when, when I started Amori Margo, that was kind of new. But I don't think that's as new anymore. Like a lot of bars are trying to be more focused. You know, it's not just like mm -hmm. let's go to bar <laughs> and get right. and get a pet nat wine and a craft beer and a craft cocktail and a shot of whiskey yep. and a daiquiri mm -hmm. and a mojito you know it's like any old bar has all of that but none of it is very good whereas right. if you go to the bar that only does daiquiris manolito down in mm -hmm. new orleans you're gonna have an incredible daiquiri <laughs> right right um so you know i think of the average bar to me kind of reads as a diner. Yeah, I can get baked clams and a steak and matzo ball soup and pancakes at any time of day, <laughs> but none of those items are going to be very good at this place. <laughs> this bar is Denny's, yeah. essentially. <laughs> you know, um, I was going to ask you, but you kind of just answered it a little bit. I was going to ask you for, you know, to give advice to like young bar professionals who are building a program, mm -hmm. like how they could avoid seeming pretentious or inauthentic because there's a lot of that and I think you're what you were just saying is the answer I think the the trouble is when you go into a place that doesn't have a real sense of self because they're trying to do things that are maybe not in their scope that are maybe not in their interests but they want to do everything really well in quotes and they're trying to create a cocktail, craft cocktail bar or whatever then it kind of comes off like you go in there you can feel it it doesn't feel yeah like an authentic experience i think that that's the um, word that's the key authenticity you know and i know i, I don't get me wrong i'm not poo-pooing and I, I certainly visit places that, that have that gamut, that, that are like, come on down for a Genesee cream ale and a shot of well whiskey and also, you know, <laughs> clarified daiquiri that we put through Rotovap, you know. Um, but, but honestly, the clientele at those bars still generally leans one way or the other, right? Like, you may offer all mm -hmm. of this stuff, but if everyone comes in and just gets a beer and a shot, then that's what you are. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, yeah, lean into it. So lean into that. But I think there's a, another part that for me, and I know I'm an outlier here. I know I'm also an old man, so get ready for a little bit of an old man rant. <laughs> I, you know, I don't want to, and here's the thing. It's I, put me in either a position A or position B here. But if I'm at a bar and there's, I'm one of two people sitting next to each other and one of us is having Chateaubriand and the other one is having a hot dog, one of us is in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> right? I don't care which it is, but one of us is in the wrong place. I don't want to be mm -hmm. either of those guys. I like both of those things. Love to have a Chateaubriand, love to have a, a hot dog, but I don't want to mm -hmm. be sitting next to the, the other guy. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Maybe there needs to be a little division. I, I always joke that my aesthetic, like, cause I, cause sometimes like in my line of work, um, especially in the wine world, when I do distributor education, they tend to pigeonhole me is like pretentious like or just because without knowing me right like and they're like oh I'm working with the uh with the wine person today and then they spend five minutes with me and they're like okay never mind but I always say like there's education does not always mean pretension you just have to sit for a minute with the fact that be be maybe a little uncomfortable that you might not know something 
you might learn a little something. And as long as the vehicle that's bringing it to you is talking to you like a normal human being, be open-minded. Um, but I always, I always push against that because like I am high-low. I am, I want champagne or Miller High Life. It's everything in the middle I, I, can't, I can't get on board with. Mm. But I, I hear you about having them at the same time. Right. Like I, I, I love going to a really thoughtful, you know, like, you know, really well-made food place. Or I was just in Nashville um, the other night. I went to Robert's oh, Western yeah, I love World. That place. And I had a fried bologna sandwich recession special. It was a Miller High Life, a fried bologna sandwich, and a moon pie for $6. Yeah. And I was like, this is fucking it. This yeah. is it. It's <laughs> all I want in life. Incredible. <laughs> You know, back to your yeah. question, though, I think, you know, if I were to give a young, if I were to give young me even or a young bartender some advice, I would say just because you can doesn't mean you should. Right. Mm. There's that old saw. Advice. And then mm-hmm. there's also this notion that I find is oddly only um, at the bar. When I'm a cook, even when I'm the fucking chef of a place. I've been swearing a lot, by the way. Can I swear on this show? I do, okay, too. Great. This is a fully swearing pod- podcast. Excellent. <laughs> I swear a lot. Um, yeah, same. Even when I'm the fucking chef, I can't go, even go back to my own analogy there. I can't run, you know, the spaghetti place and be like, tonight's special is sushi just because I want to do it. Right? It's not going to fit. People are coming in for spaghetti. They're going to be like, why is there sushi here? Mm-hmm. So oddly when you're the head bartender of someplace even if you're, you're again not the owner just the head bartender you're always the head chef not the owner right um but you see bartenders that are just like frustrated with ownership because ownership won't allow them to i don't know get a rotary evaporator or whatever right just because you <laughs> just because you know how to do that doesn't mean it belongs here your skill set right. may be different than the place you're working and that's okay but you're working mm. here right now do the thing we do here right Man, that's good advice. I've seen a lot of bartenders flame out in play, like really talented bar managers do flame out in places because they butt heads with ownership about their creative freedom. And like, right, it's not your I, bar. I, and also, it doesn't, it, it, you know what I mean? We've built the establishment around our concept. And if you're busting out of the concept, then you're again taking away that authenticity and that sort of like core value of the space itself. And then we have a confused clientele. Yeah. And I, and I'm all for creativity. Like I'm 100%, but like you have the capacity to do those things in your own time, join cocktail competitions, be really involved in the community, like find outlets for it. Scope around for the job that fits the skills that you have while maintaining the job that you have at at the highest level that you can do there. You know, um, know, and again, I don't poo poo any of this stuff. We don't do any of it at Mm -hmm. a Mori Margo. But, you know, I was on the opening team of Booker and Dax because I wanted to be. I had a Maury Margot already. Mm-hmm. I took a job outside of the place I was owner so that I could do that. Um, and I enjoyed mm-hmm. it very much. You know, I worked in kitchens and I used all those tools. And when I saw that there was a bar coming that was doing all that, and Dave Arnold actually reached out to me. Um, and I was like, yeah, I would love to do it. Um, so I'm all about all of the innovations. Um, and, and And that's just, you know, using innovation. But, like, I'm all about creativity, too. But if it doesn't mm-hmm. fit at the place you are, then it just doesn't fit. And so stop trying to cram stop a... Stop trying to make fetch happen. Try, 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 <laughs> stop, stop trying to cram a square peg into a round hole or whatever that analogy is. And 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 instead, focus deeply on what the program is and elevate mm-hmm. that in every way that it can be elevated. You know, put... Everything can be made your creativity, Put your creativity into that. I think that yep. that's the, the advice. And then I do have one sort of tertiary piece of advice. Um 
young bartenders ask me all the time, you know, how, how is it that, you know, you and your bar have been, you know, kind of the darling of the press for as long as you have. Um, and I respond by saying, well, they know where to find me. Um, which is to say, stop moving around so much, find a job and don't leave it for two years, minimum stay for two years. Two years is not a long time. And to, mm-hmm. to a lot of those young bartenders will respond to me and say, well, I feel like I've learned everything I can learn from this place. I've been here for six months. And I go, you haven't even met all the regulars yet. Mm-hmm. You haven't learned anything. You may have learned some techniques, but you haven't learned the soft skills of operating the space, putting life mm-hmm. into the space itself. So I say stand your ground as much as you can. I know you have to move sometimes or whatever, but uh, you know, back to the original question that what I was asked, I often get asked, it's because they know where to find me. And they know that when they would write about me and they can say, hey, this is for a quarterly magazine and it's not going to come out for four months. And when I say Southern Teague of Amoria Margo in the East Village of New York City, it's still going to be true. Right. Right. So they come. That's so true. They come to me because they know they can say something that will still be true. I think that soft skills piece is something that's missing these days a little bit. I think uh, not not with everyone, but I but I definitely noticed that the, uh, nothing's, the nothing's focus everyone, tends, but but it tends to be a little bit more. But I know what you say. What you're saying. I think I, I think it is getting a little bit lost, and I think it's because um, numerous reasons. But I think uh, among them is we don't rely enough anymore on mentorship you know yeah uh, we don't have someone in our lives to look to to ask questions someone someone who is stable someone who is successful uh, and who's willing to be open and share those communications you know i try and be a mentor to all my teams and people not on my teams um so that they'll have someone who can at least be a sounding board and will give you know consistent mm-hmm. advice i think we don't have that uh, as much as we used to you know, for better, or for worse, I think the internet has something to do with that. You know, you think like, I want to be a bartender. I'll just go follow a bunch of internet bartenders and I'll see what they're doing and I'll learn from them. But you're, you're learning sort of, again, the physical part, uh, uh, maybe some recipes, but you're not learning those soft skills um, from someone who's been there and done it and been successful and re- repetitious about it. I think um, a, a lot of places, like a strong personality is resonant in that space. It's not just the bar program, it's their energy. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, like I, I remember us talking to Dale DeGroff a little bit about where he got to start and the old Irish bartenders they used to work with. And it's true, though, like if there's a big personality in that space that knows the name of every regular, that knows the vibe, that can ter- change it on a dime, that is an important skill in, in hospitality, too, that I think we need to – I think COVID fucked up. Yeah. Like this, this idea of like actual real connections with people that you're going for, not just the drink, give me my drink and I'm going to go. Um, let me get my fucking QR code and then, you know, someone brings it to me. It's like, I think that there's a, there needs to be a little bit more of an emphasis on like brushing back up on that. And like, it's more to be just the person making the drinks, but the person creating the vibe and the energy and like, yeah. I'm, and resonance. how many, how many examples do we have out there of like what, what we're saying here, you know, um, Maya Angelou, uh, I'm going to you know, paraphrase, but she famously said something along the lines of uh, the end, the end of what she said was people aren't going to remember what you did for them they're gonna remember how you made them feel right and that's true so you know if we can try and focus on that a little bit more i think we'll all you know be a little bit more successful um of course you know we're gonna focus on the drinks being good but also is the lighting right is the music at the right tempo and volume Mm -hmm. for how many people are in the room is the you know are there things that are visually appealing for people to sit there and look at while they're in your space you know these are a little bit softer 
and you're right. I think also we've gotten to a place uh, somehow where um, conversation is diminished. Bartenders don't, you know, mm -hmm. there are plenty of, you know, meme bartending accounts uh, that are online that are, you know, one of the undertone messages is like, I don't want to talk to you. Tell me what you want. I'm going to give it to you. We're going to exchange money. This is a transaction, <laughs> you know. Um, so stupid. Right. It's like you're just at that point, then you're just the cash register at the fucking CVS. Like, go do that job. Um, I know. So, you know. Oh, my God. I, I, I relish the, you know, interpersonal part. I, I'm very excited to, you know, that that's what took me out of the kitchen. When I got that job behind the bar that I was only going to work for six months and work for three years, it took that first year for me to understand why I wasn't going back to the kitchen. And it was because it's all kind of the same skill set you know i'm gonna conceptualize a dish but in this case a drink then i'm gonna um you know procure the items to make it happen i'm gonna manufacture the thing and then i'm gonna uh hand it over right but mm -hmm. in the kitchen i hand it over to service staff who carries it out to the last destination behind the bar i'm responsible to hand it over and i'm part of the interaction and that's what changed it for me i get to talk to the guest i get to be yep. part of the party i'm still facilitating the party but i get to be a part of it now yeah. And even like uh, I'm I'm an introvert by nature and extrovert for money, truly. I do need that little drips and drabs and, and those are important to like feel connected in some way, even even in a small way. I feel like um, this week in uh, Nashville, I went to Attaboy mm -hmm. um, in East Nashville and what's the other one? Fox Club. And like the bartenders there are just like fucking 10 out of 10. Mm -hmm. Like it's like we don't have a menu. We have this like let's what do you like and like just creating such a cool experience and, and really like making sure the vibe I, I literally had a moment two days ago which I haven't had in a very long time because I spend a majority of my time in Boston and I you know there are some cool places in Boston but I didn't have a moment where I felt like gravity was pulling me to the earth the way I did this week mm -hmm. in uh, Fox Club where I was like this is fucking perfect right. the music is perfect the vibe was perfect the staff was incredible. And I was like, man, this, this whole thing right here. And that is, that's something that like, you know, I'm going to remember forever. And like, I think that's what we should, I mean, we all aspire for, I guess. <laughs> well, that's, I think that's the conversation we're having right now. I don't know that we're all aspiring for that anymore. Right. Again, no. it's become oh. quite, quite a bit transactional. Um, and that's not um, hospitable. And that's, that's the thing that I am, you know, I've, I've uh, referred to myself in the past as a, militant hospitalitarian right it sounds like aggressive and it is i'm aggressively hospitable <laughs> i'm going to make you have a good time um so you will have fun that's right uh or the beatings will continue <laughs> so you know i think we're we've drifted a little bit away from that which you know mm. as you said everything is cyclical there's ebbs and flows and i believe i believe we'll we'll transition back to it we have to um this this uh, sector doesn't survive without the connection so, Souther, do you have anything um, I'd love to know outside of, you know, where you spend the majority of your time in your career that you um, experience the same feelings towards like other activities or things that you're as passionate about? I mean, man, you know, now that we've consolidated the company, we did it during the pandemic. And so now I oversee 10 locations here in the East Village. Plus, we opened a place in L.A. We're about to open a place out in Boulder. Um, so, so with all of your extra yeah, time, I was about to say, so extra time is, uh, <laughs> not a thing. I, that's not a thing I have a lot of stock of. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, when I do, I honestly, I try, I, I try and do two things and sometimes it's difficult to separate them. 
but I try and spend a lot of time with my friends who aren't, are not in this business. My, my oldest and dearest friend has no, he's not in the business. He doesn't care about the business. He, he's something entirely different. Um, so I try and spend time with people who offer me something else to talk about. Right. So that mm -hmm. frankly, when I go back to the bar, I have something to say about the world. <laughs> Otherwise I would just be trapped and I would just only have booze to talk about and the, mm -hmm. and the restaurants. Um, the other one that's a little bit more difficult is one of the things I enjoy doing and didn't get to do for the first 20 something years of my living in New York is um, I like to cook for people. Um, and I don't like doing it in a tiny little kitchen, but I have a backyard now. Mm -hmm. So I have a big grill and a smoker. So, you know, all during the pandemic, we had a pod. There was a uh, 10 of us that would come over every Monday and I would cook for this group of people. And again, several of them not in the business at all. Um, a little harder to get out of business talk when you're like roasting a pig because people want to talk to you about roasting <laughs> a pig and that's part of the business, right? So, or, or whatever is on the grill, you know? Um, but I think that that's what I like to do. I like to get away from the business so that I have perspective on it, get away from the field. But that, but, you know, it proves difficult because what we do yeah. is fun and what we do is part of the activity. You know, even when I'm hanging out with these, these friends who aren't in the business, we're usually having a drink, which is my business. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I try and uh, make sure that I don't start working. You know, I'm not making every drink yep. for everybody. I might make a few. If I'm oh, up yeah. making myself one, you know, I'll get the old, while you're up, okay, sure, I'll make you one as well. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not suddenly manning the bar, you know. Yeah, you're not everyone's personal bartender. That happens to me too, yeah. though, unfortunately. Um, and I think yeah. there's there's a personality that enjoys that. I think I, I had that personality for a while, but now I don't, right? I want to separate work. Mm. Because if you don't separate the two parts, then you only have one part. Yep. I saw on um, Instagram uh, recently you had posted this thing about having like a dinner party or something. And, uh, and I was like, I want an invite. <laughs> like that, I want to go to that party. Um, um, so feel free. Send sure. an invite my way. You're I will invited. come. Come on yeah, down. Thank you. <laughs> I will I will bring um uh dumb jokes and uh, a lot of enthusiasm well, and maybe a bottle of I love, wine. <laughs> love dumb jokes. Well, I've that a lot of Yeah, them. I started uh, uh I think what you saw on Instagram uh is um I've started doing some in-home events. So that's work actually. Um but it's a different style of work because I'm inviting people into literally into my own home. Um and we're doing uh, uh hands-on education and uh, so I do every event has the same sort of template. Uh, there's a punch bowl where they serve themselves and mingle and there's snacks around that fit the theme. So I've done two so far. I did New Orleans and I did France. So there's snacks around that fit the theme. Then when everybody arrives and everybody's got their glass of punch and a little snack in their hand, I invite them into my kitchen and we do a quick culinary demo. So at the, cool. Fran at the France one, we had chicken liver mousse. So I taught them how to make chicken liver mousse and showed them how wildly inexpensive it is. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, you go to a restaurant, you're going to pay 20 bucks for this. And here I'm going to make it for you for $4 um, and, mm. you know, 10 servings. Uh, so I do a little quick culinary demonstration. Then we move into my living room where I've got them all set up with stirring equipment. And we do a, a stirred cocktail that involves a tasting. So we, we did the Greenpoint cocktail and we used chartreuse. Um, and so we did a chartreuse tasting. And chartreuse being so mm -hmm. difficult to get right now, that was exciting for people. Mm -hmm. And then we move into my little backyard and we do a shake and drink together. Um and I try and incorporate some sort of demonstration into that as well. So this this cocktail was the French 75 with uh, uh, had some champagne. So I savored champagne, showed them how to savor. So it's like so fun. educational. You move through the house. Um, you get an experience. Um, and it's tons of fun. Yeah, I would like an invite. 
Um, <laughs> and it's a little bit disruptive to the business. And, and so it's like it's like I'm throwing a party at my house instead of throwing a party at the bar. Well, but I feel like, you know, it's a different vibe. Totally different. The experiences are different and the connections are different. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, and I, I, I think as, I don't know, maybe as I get older too, I actually start to value those more hands-on educational but you feel connected to what you're doing experiences so um i think it's a really cool concept for sure yeah um i just realized we've been talking for a, a long time and i'm being i'm trying to be so respectful of your time yeah um, <laughs> but i i i would love to do this again with you sometime i maybe we can do an in-person with a drink one love day it. um i'd love to come see you in new york and i've never been to your bar which is wild it's, ne- it's nearly a crime um, I mean, if, if it's kind of a crime. If you're in the business um, and you haven't been to my bar, it's uh, you're yeah, you're bordering on criminal. So, listeners, you just heard Souther think about ten points less of me immediately. So. <laughs> no, not at all. I it's get like, it, man. Oh, it's uh, you thought know, you were cool. You just get to New York every time you want to. Um, but I we know. do try and it's take tough. it on the road. You know, we've done lots of um, Amori Margot pop ups over the years, and we try and take it places so people can enjoy it from from places that maybe they can't get to us. Uh, in fact, we're doing one. Next month uh, in Minnesota, it's going to be a place called Fun. Puffer Fish, which is a tiki bar. So we're going to do tropical inspired stirred bitter drinks <laughs> with awesome. using no juice. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we'll put <laughs> so we'll infuse an Angostura with mango, and it'll be Mangostura. Um, oh, that's yeah. awesome! We do fun weird stuff like that when we're out of our own house, um, and then yeah. um, we uh, uh, there's another one coming up. Oh, it's not necessarily Maury Margot, but I'll be in Kansas City at uh, Jay Rieger Kansas City Whiskey's uh, club called Hey Hey Club, doing some stirred cocktails using their products. They have a they have an Amaro and they have a whiskey and a gin. Hanging out with Ryan, maybe the owner. Um, so anyway, I try and you know you know like go places and do stuff so that you know I understand you, you can't get to New York, you can't get to when you do come to New York, you probably got a million things you want to do, and if you don't get to the bar, it's totally understandable. But we're twelve years old, we're not going anywhere. You got time. I do. I will. I will make time. Um, I'm. I feel like I've, I'm traveling nonstop these days, but I'm. I'm rooted a little bit. Um, but I'm going to carve out time, and I'll. I'll reach out to you and and come check out the bar. Hopefully, you'll be there when I can be there. Just let me know when you're around. coming, and I'll try and make sure I'm there. Um, well, thank you for your time. I appreciate you doing this so much. You're awesome. Well, I thank you for asking me to be on. Uh, it's a pleasure. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll happily be on again. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 